Today's guest is a professional actor and host. He's been seen on MTV, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and Comedy Central. He's an instructor at the Improv Trick, 321 Acting Studios, and the Second City Hollywood. He's also a retired United States Air Force Reserve medic and an ambassador and mentor in the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program and a two-time testicular cancer survivor. A brief note here. In this episode, we'll talk about cancer. And while we may bring levity to what we discuss because of our shared background in comedy, it's important to note that change isn't always fun, simple, or easy. My guest is the BJ Lang. I'm Aiden Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. You may know BJ from MTV, Jimmy Kimmel Live, or taking improv classes at Second City or any number of other places he teaches improv. But what you may not know is that BJ is a U.S. Air Force medic. You're no longer a medic. Correct. I'm a retired United States Air Force medic and a two-time testicular cancer survivor. And you use all of the things that you have done currently mm-hmm. with military folks, with folks in the Air Force, correct? You also support folks in the military using improv and some of the other things that you know as an athlete and a survivor. Is that right? That's exactly right, Aiden. I'm utilizing everything that we, you and I both, you know, as, as artists and improvisers that I'm using this skill set to now reach back and help people and, and grab someone's hand and pull them up. Uh, utilizing everything that we've been doing on our own anyways. It, it's so funny because I, did, I didn't anticipate using this in this way. I always knew it could help people in, in different ways, improv specifically, and what we call applied improvisation. And when all of my adversity happened to me and I dealt with a big change in my life, I started to realize that that was really the foundation to to help me, the catalyst to get me into this type of work and to be able to help people. So it's been really rewarding um, and hopefully it grows. That's pretty freaking fantastic. Um, I met BJ at an improv festival, uh, which is how I meet a lot of wonderful, amazing and interesting people. Um, are, (laughs) Are you doing any improv performance at the moment? Well, obviously, in light of this coronavirus stuff, there is change, but you have to be flexible. I will say it, it, it is uh, trying to find its way into the, for us to still be connected as improvisers and uh, as artists, as, as we're all seeing now all over the internet, people are trying different things. So uh, I'm teaching remotely for the second city. So that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and I teach adults and kids, so they're both unique in their own right. Uh, and then at comedy sports, I've been uh, selected to play on a, on a comedy sports uh, team for Comedy Sports St. Louis. And uh, this Saturday, we have uh, a couple of shows coming up. So it's going to be different. And you know what? At the end of the day, if we're having fun and we're trying to, you know, connect with each other and you know, get some laughs out there, especially during this. I think, it, I think that's important. So it's okay. Yes, there's a lag and it's weird, but whatever. You just got to anticipate it. Just got to roll with it. It's just how it is now for, for now. Yeah. Exactly. The only thing, 
The only thing certain in life is that everything changes, as they say. That's right. Um, So generally speaking, do you think of yourself as somebody who is change averse, change embracing, excited for change? Like how do you generally describe your relationship to to changes? Wow. I think think before my cancer really – flipped my life upside down. Uh, I was just like, eh, change, eh, something different. You know, it was no big, no big deal. Um, and I think I'm getting back to that point where it's a little bit easier, um, to deal with change. And and let me be clear. I don't mean like little things like I'm moving my bed to the different side of the room. So it's going to be, okay. Well, actually it's interesting you bring that up because I, I actually love using furniture moving as an example of how people sure. think about change because I have this theory that some people move their furniture around a lot because they, they crave some kind of change. And some people are like, look, this is where this chair lives for the rest of my life until it dies or I die, whichever comes last. And, you know, it's like, because they really, they're, they're afraid of what it means to sh- even shift the furniture. So I think there is actually a relationship between moving the bed and dealing with these giant sweeping things that life. Throws At, sure. At, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. I totally believe that. Um, <clears throat> I was referencing more, the, you know, bigger changes and things that happen. Yeah, yeah. But th- there, there's absolutely, I believe some benefit in uh, making little changes. And uh, obviously what are they cognitive behavioral therapy, right? So you're changing behavior, you know, and thinking about things a little bit differently, becoming more aware of, of things. So uh, becoming more mindful, I guess, is another way to also see it there is savoring things and, you know, trying to make yourself happy. My neighbor just uh, two days ago, we were, you know, stuck here in quarantine. So he's like, I'm going to rearrange my apartment and our apartments here in Hollywood are not very big, but the little things that you could do and you're like, wow, like, maybe I do like this or the light comes in different. So there, there are some positives, but going back to me referencing the big changes, I think what happened with my cancer and this all started about three years ago, everything happened. I, I was so compressed, multiple things happened and it just started stacking in a way that I had never experienced stress to that level. Um, mental health, uh, you know, depression and anxiety, on top of that, and then dealing with the physical, you know, issues of cancer treatments. And so I, all of my nerves and the way that I behaved, I feel became frayed. The string was Mm. no longer, the string was Mm -hmm. no longer nice and, you know, flexible and I could still move it and whatever. I became kind of, you know, so whenever things would happen, like I would, I would get upset and I felt like everything was affecting me. You know, and that, yeah. and that was, and that was new. And I think that was a lot because of the change. Well, so let, uh, let's go ahead and dig into that story because it's fascinating to me, you know, meeting you cancer in person. It's very fascinating. Well, <laughs> you know, my cancer is fascinating. Cancer is more prevalent than anybody cares to admit. And yeah. lucky for us, the survival rates are much higher than they used to be. My grandmother died Amen. of breast cancer. My mother's a breast cancer survivor. My aunt is a breast cancer survivor currently battling. Um, it, who knows what's going yeah. to happen, but she's currently battling another round. My cousin battled 
three rounds of cancer before it Man. finally was like, you know, so it's like, it's kind of, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's everywhere, man. But so, but you know, you look at someone, you look at you, you look at people and you see these healthy, vibrant human beings, right? I see a healthy, vibrant human being in front of me and it's hard. It's just hard to imagine. So um, I say, let's go ahead and dig in. What, how old were you? Let's, Let's, when did sure. this start? Where, where were the circumstances? Tell us your story. Yeah. Well, I, um, in October of 2015, I noticed that my left testicle was getting a little larger than my other testicle. And I, like most men that get testicular cancer, at least for, for the short term at the very beginning, I wrote it off as I was exercising every day because I was, you know, on active orders at that time. So I was, you know, running every day. I was on a bunch of supplements, you know, I was eating different. So I was like, ah, it's my testosterone. I'm getting older, you know, so who knows? I got bigger and bigger and bigger. And people told me for years Aiden, that I have big balls because of what I do for a living. But <laughs> this, this was a little bit different. Um, so, and in the scientific uh, reference to this, and I'm hoping that you'll share some pictures. I'll send you a great, a great photo, not of my testicles, but of yeah, the... it will depend on the photo you send whether sure, I share it sure. or not, and also okay. how our relationship moves forward. <laughs> That's a good point. Good point. Uh, <laughs> wow, BJ didn't even send a dick pic. He sent a picture of his balls. That's weird. Like, why not just send a dick pic? So, <clears throat> uh, Lord, <laughs> yeah. Um, in my, in my ultrasound report. So I, 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 I took the day off of training. I went to the doctor, um, and they sent me to get an ultrasound, you know, typical just to kind of do a workup and see what it was. And in the report, it says left testicle size of a small orange. That was the actual medical definition. Lord. Like, that is yes. not normal. Well, I don't know who's to say what's normal, but that seems abnormally large to me. True. But that wasn't even what struck me. And at the time, I hadn't done my nursing program, so I didn't really understand nursing terminology. It then said, however, right testicle remains unremarkable. And I was angry. I was like, what do you mean unremarkable? <laughs> I think my testicles have been done some pretty important things. So it's like in the phantom toll booth where the, well, that one character is like, it's all in how you look at things. Yes. You know? Exactly. So, uh, that led to surgery. I had a left radical orchiectomy. They removed my left testicle. I, I later did chemotherapy. And then in July of 2016, I, I got, uh, medically retired temporarily from the air force. That was a very grueling process and a, a story for another time, but that was very, emotional for me. It had a big emotional toll because I identified on one, you know, I'm a professional actor. I live in LA and this is what I've been doing for, you know, 15 plus years professionally. And this is where I want to be. But on the side, part time, I was in the Air Force Reserve as a medic. And that became a very big part of my heart. So when I got medically retired, it really, it really kind of hurt me uh, mm. inside. What we, I guess that was the beginning of my invisible wounds. So I came home in July of 2016. Um, and so basically about a year after I originally left, I wasn't even supposed to be gone for that long, but because of my cancer diagnosis, it just kept extending. Plus I was going through treatments and things like that. And when I came home, 
I had to adjust. I was back in LA, back to my normal civilian life, now dealing with this recent cancer diagnosis. And I was in remission and I was understanding what it's like to be a veteran. That's a weird thing for somebody. I, you know, didn't understand the VA system. I didn't know how I was going to get healthcare because I had healthcare from the military. And now I have this new thing with the VA and how does that work? And oh yeah. So, yeah. 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 It was, it was, there was a lot going on. So if I had to categorize that whole experience, that wasn't that bad. Huh. However, yeah, because I, and I tell people all the time, like I treated my initial diagnosis like a military mission. What do I have to do? What tasks do I need to complete? And I just knocked them out. Oh, I need to go to the doctor and get this. I need to do this. And I just got that. I was very healthy. Aiden. I had, I'd never really even been to the doctor prior to this before in my life, really. I mean, I think maybe if I had like the flu or something, but nothing this severe. I'd never been like the patient, you know? Wow. So I was home for about a year in remission and I was expecting to return to the Air Force Reserve to uh, be reevaluated so that I can return and get removed from temporary retirement. And in July of 2017, I went in for my one-year CT scan, and my cancer was back. I tell people I'm a two-time testicular cancer survivor, and let me be clear, that doesn't mean that I'm a flat bagger. I still have one. So, <laughs> Take note. Yeah, take, humans, take note, everybody. Hu- humans looking to date BJ. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hey, I'm still, I'm, still, I'm, I'm still profitable, people. I'm still profitable. This time, instead of doing chemotherapy, I went through radiation and I did about a month of radiation therapy uh, at the VA in Los Angeles. The worst part about my relapse, and this is really where I would consider, I mean, change was already happened before. I was being, I became a patient. I became sick. I became not able to do my job in the military. I got medically retired. I didn't get to do the plans that I planned on and going through my career and doing all these great things that I always wanted to do. But the worst part was really when I relapsed, I think because I had told myself, ah, it wasn't that big a deal. I took care of it. I was super healthy. It was so easy. You know, it was not that big a deal. But when it came back, that's a really scary moment because you're like, holy shit, my cancer's in a different part of my body, they didn't get it all. It's in my lymphatic system going metastasis. That's scary. So every day when I'm getting radiated, getting blasted with this radiation wow. throughout my body, like because of where they were targeting me specifically with radiation, that was an issue because it was in my lymphatic strip or my lower abdomen. So it was hitting my stomach and it was making me super nauseous. Well, my point in telling you all of that is that I'm if you told me, hey, you're sick and you got to go do chemo and radiation, that is no problem for me because I understand the physical, I have to go do it. The hard part for me was really the mental aspect and the change that it really kind of sunk in that I was at that point sick, like that this could be a problem for the rest of my life. I mean, of course it could have been. I knew that from the initial diagnosis, but not on this level. My day-to-day life became going to the doctor. I mean, <laughs> I had I have 12 different specialties that I see. I not I don't just go to the doctor, you know, every year to go see my I see my primary every 3 months. 
I have a hematology oncologist, radiation oncologist. I have a neurologist. And so I got diagnosed with a bunch of other stuff and, you know, mental health stuff, obviously. So how do you balance all of that with, I mean, you, you have a big resume, my friend, and you are a busy man doing millions of things is what it seems like. How do you do that? Well, first of all, I'm a busy guy. I'm like my ex-girlfriend. I get around. But <laughs> hello. She was a lovely woman. She was a lovely woman. Um, at that time, I think I was just trying to become a taskmaster. You know, mm-hmm. what what do I have to do? What do I have to do? And it got to at first I was like, okay, so I th- I think a lot of cancer patients and folks in remission and any survivor of any number of years will tell you this is something that we talk about all the time because I'm on the board for the testicular cancer awareness foundation. And I often lead a lot of discussion groups where we talk to each other as survivors about everything we're dealing with. And something that always comes up is you feel very strong. You feel like you're in control when you're constantly going to the doctor. Cause like someone's good. Someone's looking at me, you know, I'm going to the doctor today, so I'm not going to die. You know, I, I, th- I think I, I handled everything um, okay. I probably could have handled a little bit better, and I wish that I would have listened to my mom, really, who uh, was telling me, why don't you go see mental health? And My primary at the VA, she actually, she was like, she called me out, basically, you know, and she said, you're, you're telling me you're stressed out. You're telling me, and I can see that you're biting your fingernails, you're gaining weight, you're, you know, becoming irritable. Why don't you go see mental health? And I, and I literally laughed at her for suggesting it because I was like, ah, you know, I'm a guy, I was in the military, I work medical, like, I know the clinical signs, I'm okay. Yeah, but, I think that's a really common response, actually, when people suggest that people reach out for help. It's fascinating to me because you, if you talk to people who have, who have reached out for help and received help in that way, none of them are like, what a waste of time. Everybody's like, man, I'm so glad I did that. And yet, when they then suggest it to someone else, we all, I do it too. I'm like, I'm fine. You know what? If I need help, I'll get help. You know, like, it's a really common thing. And I... Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of, you know, social, I could feel a lot of like the Midwestern value in my dad, like, you know, go to work and get it done. And, you know, you're going to be fine. And, you know, don't, don't share your feelings. And, yeah. and, and I'm medical. Walk it so off. I yeah. Walk, it, that, it, that, no, it that's, yeah, that's exactly right. So my doctor says, Hey, why don't you go to, to the mental health? And this is a couple of weeks after my relapse. She puts in the consult. I go. I'm embarrassed, of course, and like not making eye contact. Never in my life, Aiden, have I ever gone to see anybody for mental health. Ever. Never. Ever. And this is just an intake. It's not like where you're, you know, it's just an intake, an eval, and then they'll figure it out from there and they'll parse you out to whoever. I sit down, and in my head, I'm going, I wasn't wounded in combat. I didn't lose an arm or a leg. I had fucking cancer. Like, and it was a dumb cancer, like an easy cancer by definition. You know, testicular cancer is uh, the most common for men 18 to 40, and more men in that age group will get diagnosed with testicular cancer than women of the same age group. 
Uh, however, wait, not a lot of people. Yes, hold on. You heard that? Yeah. Can I, yeah. as a woman, be diagnosed with testicular cancer? <laughs> no, not unless you have. And I'm not assuming your preferred gender uh, preference. But, uh, <laughs> no. If you have testicles, yes. But uh, let me, oh, Roger let me that. Yeah. Uh, more men in that age group will get diagnosed with testicular cancer than women of breast cancer. Of Roger that. that. Roger, Roger, Roger. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, so, so I'm thinking all this stuff in my head and I'm like, this is kind of a waste of my time. I, and, and then I hear Mr. Lang and I walk back and I sit down in the psychologist's office and she goes, hi, Mr. Lang. I was looking at your 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 chart and wow, you've been through a lot of stuff in the last two years. And I guess to hear that validation, like it hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, from a medical professional. And she goes, tell me how you're doing. I fucking lost it. Obviously, there was a lot of feelings like at night I couldn't sleep and I was afraid that like I was going to die and can I have kids? You know, I had loss of a part of a creative organ and I had cancer twice at this point. So I'm sharing my a little bit of my stuff with her. I remember doing one of these, <clears throat> but uh, but but I'm but but I'm okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just want to get the hell out of the office. And she stops me and she goes. No, Mr. Langa. I think you're suffering from major depression. Mm. And it, I never heard anybody say that. Like, maybe, I, maybe, you know, there was a big part of me that like, is like, I am feeling this way. I do know it, but I, I didn't, I didn't really want to admit it to myself, much less hear it. And so she said it. Well, on one hand, it was a relief because I was like, I had validation, but I was also kind of scared too. Cause then I was like, Oh my God, how is this going to affect me? I now have this right. diagnosis. And you know, like, I, now what does that mean? What does that mean for you? What changes now? What's you know, what's this grenade going to blow yeah. up in my life? Yeah, that's exactly. I don't know. I, it, it was, it was a lot and it still is a lot. And uh, eventually like she put me through cognitive behavioral therapy and we talked a lot about change and how you need to identify thing for how many t- oh, I learned so much I learned so much and I'm happy well, to share what I learned yeah but. I think that'd be awesome so so first of all let's pause here so that I can say yeah. thank you because I think you're sharing some really vulnerable stuff and as someone who used to if, if I remember this correctly didn't you used to host MTV spring break <laughs> I did yeah I so as spring, someone who used yeah. to <laughs> As someone who some people still just remember you from that, probably how exciting yeah. for you, um, despite all the amazing changes and work you've been through, this is a vulnerable share. So I would like to at least take a moment to say thank you for getting vulnerable. Um, and because I know you, I know that you're constantly looking for what's the lesson here. What am I? What's, what did I learn? What's new? What do I do with that information? I know that that's how you work just in our brief interaction. So I am super excited to hear your thoughts (laughs) coming on, coming, coming through the intensity of all of that to where you are now, which is not, you're not through it by any stretch. You're in the middle of it in some ways. 
Yeah, a, a lot of ways. And you're exactly right. And then how I took all this to now do what I'm doing to help people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so interesting because you know how when you're a teenager, you're like, you're, you're invincible. You're invincible when you're a teenager. When you're young, you could do anything. And I'm not sick. And what a, my little brother, I love you, Matt. But my little brother right now, he's dealing with like getting health insurance, you know, with everything that's happening. And I'm like, I know that you feel that you are invincible. However, it's a very real thing that like you could get sick or get hit by a car. And so like, I don't it's know. real. Yeah. I mean, my yeah. dad always told me that, um, the fact that there are no guarantees, safety is an illusion. That's what he always has said. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons a freedom is so important, personal freedom, personal liberty, um, civil liberties. These things matter because you know, safety is an illusion. If you're going to bank on something, bank on living life to the fullest when you can live it within the realm of reason. So you're not, you know, screwing it up for somebody else by taking them out early. Um, you yeah. know, and uh, yeah, so it's interesting, uh, you know, in his perspective, and it sounds like this is what you're talking about with your brother, Matt, that it's like knowing that sickness is for real and that death is, you know, nobody gets out of this life alive, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and especially right now with everything that's happening, it's helpful to recognize the value that that, that brings to everything. Sure. Life is actually precious. That's not just a cool thing to say. It's true. That actually felt really nice. That felt very, that kind of, that kind of hit me. <laughs> that was very nice. And very well oh, said. Cool. Yeah. I, th- I just was rephrasing what I thought you were saying. What else has come from this for you? The I think my biggest and most favorite thing that I learned from going to those appointments was all of these, um, what did she call them? My little sister would know because she's studying psychology right now, but basically unwanted questions or unwanted feelings. And that's completely normal, you know, when, especially with people dealing with this kind of stuff. And so when she was having me do like uh, questions or thought logs, one of my things was, uh, will anyone want to be with me because mm-hmm. I'm sick? And and by the way, let me, let me pose this out there for anyone who knows someone that's going through any sort of a, illness or or an injury or anything right like if you lost an arm or a leg or whatever if you're trying to date someone at what point do you bring that up and why is that important i understand it's my it's my decision to do that but my thing is if aiden you and i are on a date should i tell you on the first date just so you know i'm either going through treatments or i just you know i do have cancer i mean because like wouldn't you want to kind of know that because like what if i was like i can't have children i don't know yet by the way we're hoping but you know, right. that's, wow. What a dilemma. That's a tough question to answer. I mean, have you come to an answer for yourself on that? So I post this yeah. on my Facebook and cause I was like, guys, one, I'm not looking for charity. I'm just, I'm just wondering like, what's the general consistent consensus, consensus of people mm-hmm. and, and, and where they would, where they would say it. And most people said if they knew they wanted to go on a date again and they felt it both sides, Maybe on the second date they would say it. But a lot of people were like, I wouldn't say it until later on. And a lot of people told me, don't you dare say it on the first thing because it's going to scare people away. But then I said, and I guess it's because I'm very open and I I don't have anything to hide, okay? 
So I like to share everything, not to scare anybody off, but like, yeah, just this is who I, if it comes up, I'm not saying, hi, Aiden, nice to meet you. I'm BJ. I have cancer. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that, like, that, that's not Though, I mean, I wonder if this is similar in some ways to uh, single parents who um, go on first, you know, I had a friend uh, who went through a divorce. They had two kids. Uh, they still have two kids. They're just not married to each other anymore. Um, but getting back into the dating scene, that was a big question for her that she had to answer yeah. is when, when do you rip the bandaid off of pulling back the curtain to who not just who you are, but like what, what also is happening in your life. Cause there's the, nobody ever asks people are like, what do you do for a living or what do you do for fun? But they don't ask like, what challenges are you facing right now? I, I, I okay. Maybe it's just cause of me. I understand when I was younger, that would be like mm, kind of slightly uncomfortable. I guess, you know, when you're like early twenties, you know, you're on a date, like you just want to like get to kind of know that person on, on face value. But I yeah. love I have always loved getting deep. I'm not saying like, you got to tell me everything like I'm 15 years behind on taxes and you know, <laughs> like. but it's an interesting question because when you're dealing with illness, chronic illness, um, scary illness, uh, you know, it's like in- injury is one thing I, to me, injury and illness feel like they're slightly different as well. If somebody's like, you got a broken leg, you can see it anyway. But if somebody's, undergoing radiation treatments and it's making them sick and it's hard to eat, but you're still wanting to get out there because you don't want to be alone. Well, How do you bridge great, that? Great, yeah. Great, great question, Aiden. I, I, here's what I learned. Uh, so when I got out of the air force, I got enrolled into the air force's wounded warrior program. What is uh, known as AFW2 and the air force wounded warrior program not to be confused with the wounded warrior project which is a nonprofit this is a dod program for wounded ill and injured service members and their caregivers every branch of the military has one if you were critically wounded ill or injured in the line of duty uh and you're going through a medical evaluation board you would have gotten enrolled in this program and they do adaptive sports and uh, they have an ambassador program that teaches people how to tell their stories so you can help other people who might be going through the same situation. Uh, they do resiliency training and things like that. One of the most beautiful things that I learned from Air Force Wounded Warrior is physical injury and uh, invisible wounds. So, But the similarity is people are still dealing with things mentally as well, struggles, you know, various mental health diagnoses, but change just like you're talking about. And I think that understanding that I got from my experience Mm. makes me a better, not only improviser and human being, uh, but an applied improv practitioner. And I teach all week teaching wounded, ill and injured service members and their caregivers, and sometimes even their kids, how to use improv comedy as a resiliency tools. I'll just, I'll give you a quick breakaway real quick, real fast. In January last year, not this past January, but January before, it was the first time we went to the Pacific. Uh, I was teaching there uh, at Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam. And I had been on my contract for about six months and kind of building it up. You know, you, it takes time to kind of get the curriculum out. So you kind of figure out like what works and what doesn't and all that. It's not just improv for performance. It's improv for helping us up here and here. So I'm working my way through this thing. And I noticed in, in, the, in the second workshop that I did, 
there was a, a man there who lost his arm uh, due to an accident. And he and his wife were there, and he was this guy. And we've all seen this guy in class, this guy. <laughs> yeah, I know that guy. He was the guy that goes, why is there a fucking comedian here? This shit isn't funny. Not, not we, I don't mean the improv, like the shit that they're dealing with isn't funny. Yeah. And I'm like, well, we're not here to do, you know, stand up comedy about what you're doing. I'm going to show you the byproducts of, of teaching and performing improv and using this as a, as a lifestyle and all that can help you in so many ways and what you can get out of it. So his wife kind of drags him at first to come back <laughs> every, every night. And so he slowly gets into the games and the exercises and all this stuff, right? Cut to the end of the week. I'm saying bye to everybody. Wife comes up to me, ball, just ball in tears, gives me a hug and goes, DJ, I just want you to know that this is the first time that he's laughed and smiled since the accident. I oh. lost it. I lost it. So that's beautiful. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I, uh, I started the program at the Second City Hollywood, uh, running their Improv for Veterans program, uh, which has been amazing. And I worked with uh, Chicago and my friend Jonah, who's a Marine uh, uh, veteran who leads their program in Chicago. And I became the comedy coach for Air Force Wounded Warrior. And I've been getting calls from different organizations to come in and work with them. So I, I got on the artist council for the Armed Services Arts Partnership which works to bring the arts to veterans and military communities, as well as uh, offer mentorships and things like that. So I mean, is, that's all incredible. That's incredible. And it's such, impo- I think it's important work. It's certainly valuable work that you're doing. Yeah. So you. do you think that you would be on this path if you had not been a two time cancer survivor in limbo emotionally who needed some help and support? I think it's a fair assessment that I would still be teaching, but I yeah. don't think I fit. Well, one, I wouldn't have gotten involved in Air Force Wounded Warrior because I wouldn't have gotten sick. Uh, but that has right. opened so many doors. Well, okay. So here's what I want to find out from you. Um, for the Wounded Warriors that you are currently working with, um, mm-hmm. what is a really common takeaway that either you see people having this epiphany around their own resiliency in, in approaching these changes or um it's like you know like what's that thing that seems to be true for the for the yeah the people are taking away or that you are like it's important to me that they take this away okay um as i'm sure you're familiar with and anyone who teaches improv uh everything whatever they get out of it depends on how much time we have if I don't have a lot of time with you, I can only get so far into the curriculum and so far in, you know, to the depth of what it is that we're trying to do. Um, I always focus on having fun and just trying, right, and being okay with the unknown, which is a lot of what we are experiencing. When you step away and you say, how can I as Del Close said, fall, then learn how to land on the way down, right? Mm. Oh, I I, like that. I don't think I knew that Del Close quote. That's good. Yeah, Great one. A good takeaway that they always say, of course, the biggest thing that we always push is yes and, but really what does that mean? And in the context of what these wounded warriors are dealing with, yes, this happened to me, 
and I can still move forward. I could still get up out of bed every day. I could still, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's something that everybody wants to do, but it, learn to go with the punches. In other words, let's apply it from like a corporate standpoint and not for wounded, ill, or injured, but like now just working in general, you know, populations. Mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. When, cha- when change happens and people are not flexible, right, or they're not willing to be flexible, your stress levels are going to go up. You're going to freak out. Your anxiety is going to get to you or whatever, and you're going to snap. I'm here to show everyone not only to find resiliency, but being okay with the unknown, being comfortable with the uncomfortable. And even though it can be kind of scary, there's some fun in that, right? There's, there's a ton yeah. of fun. You just, you need to be okay with that. And I think there's that's fun the to be place. found. There's fun to be found, uh-huh. right? Like, the more comfortable that you get with being uncomfortable, there's more fun to be found in that state. Um, the that's less right. comfortable you are with being uncomfortable, the more stress there is to be found in that state. So, you know, I think those are fabulous takeaways. Absolutely fabulous. <laughs> When people are super rigid in their mentality, and so in the Air Force, we say flexibility is the key to air power. That's like a quote that everybody throws around, right? In other words, you got to be flexible. We, you don't know what the hell's going to happen. One day, you, hey, you don't fix that plane. You need to go clean up trash. You know, you didn't expect for that to happen, but that might be the case for whatever needs to get done. And the sooner that you accept that, and that, that so that you're not so rigid in your thinking, the mm-hmm. easier it's going to be, that's going to help your mental health and all of that stuff. So, yeah, that's awesome. I also like the way you phrased uh, the yes and. Like, you know, a lot of people get really, especially when we bring this to businesses, people get really fixated on this yes and. Like, yes, that's mm-hmm. a great idea, and I'll add to your great idea. I love the way you said that. That yes, that happened, yeah. and what am I going to do with that now? Right? Yes. And I'm still moving forward. (laughs) Um, I love that. Yeah. Those are the takeaways. Yeah. Thank you so much, BJ. Thank you, Aiden. I I loved hearing those stories and I love hearing those takeaways. And I really appreciate you spending some time with me today, just sharing your thoughts on this idea of like, what are these pivotal moments of change? What does that look like? Everybody's got fork in the road moments. And I really appreciate you digging into one of yours. Absolutely. And if you know a a military veteran or someone who is interested in getting involved with improv or comedy at all, stand up, sketch, look up ASAP, ASAP ASAP.org, the Armed Services Arts Partnership. Aiden, thank you so much. I love you to pieces. Surviving cancer only to be diagnosed again is a tough blow to the strongest of people. Having watched my own family members battle cancer, some who are battling now, I am in awe of the strength of will involved in getting through embracing life and continuing forward. BJ's story of fighting to stay service-focused, continuing to work to heal his own heart and mind after working so hard to heal his body, just so that he can go forward and help others through laughter with the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program, man, that is truly inspiring to me. PTSD's relationship with cancer is well-established. While the research isn't completely conclusive, up to 22% of cancer survivors develop symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, which I learned following my mother's battle with breast cancer a couple of years ago. It's why mental health support is so important. One thing I've taken away from this conversation for sure is something I already knew. Laughter isn't just good medicine. It's important medicine. In the words of Patch Adams... 
happiness is the best cure for all diseases. You've been listening to The Changed Podcast. To learn more about the Armed Services Arts Partnership, visit ASAPASAP.org. And if you're craving more BJ, be sure to visit our website, www.thechangedpodcast.com, where you can find links to some of the valuable work BJ is doing. Like, subscribe, rate The Changed Podcast on whatever service you are using to consume this content. And of course, please share with your friends. Thank you for listening. I'm Aiden Nepom. And I wish you the kind of moments in life that you are excited to tell stories about.